Hello again, friends, and welcome back to The Longest Night, which is a little show, a tiny little show, about the HBO series Game of Thrones. My name is Rob, and my co-host is Lizzie. Say hello. Hello. Um, if you're listening to us for the first time, first of all, thank you very much for tuning in. At this early stage, it means so much. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background about our show. Um, so, yeah, I'm Rob. I've watched uh, and re-watched Game of Thrones more times than I can count. And I'm always looking for someone else to watch it with. So I asked my good friend Lizzie, whose voice you just heard, uh, who's very much a child of summer when it comes to this series, <laughs> to join me. Um, I know most things, and she knows nothing. Um, and isn't that wonderful? Um, to have someone who can give us completely fresh takes about all the moments that lie in front of us. And there are many takes. Stay tuned. Although, yes, many takes. I'm sure there will be. Um, mm -hmm. Now, it's been an interesting week for us because our first episode was put out last week. Um, and we've already had like a, a bigger and more sort of positive response than I think we ever could have expected. Um, so just we'd like to thank everyone who was kind enough to listen in last week um, and the people who subscribe to our show. Um, I'd like to sort of give a little bit of a shout out to the Narth subreddit whose moderators have been kind enough to let us promote each of our episodes there. Um, and I would like to give a personal shout out to uh, We Still Love Game of Thrones, which is a good Twitter account that you should follow. They are at We Thrones on Twitter, so it's just W-E and then Thrones. Um, uh, we'll link to the pages in the show notes anyway. Um, and you can also contact us on Twitter. We are Longest Night GOT. Um, if you want to give us praise or abuse or just say hi, then <laughs> feel free. We might not respond to the abuse, but, you know, if it makes you feel better, then <laughs> fair enough. Well, you um, don't know. We've got yeah, a lot of well, quiet days lately. Who knows? So. It, could, it could be funny. It could be yeah, really could funny be. abuse. Could so, be. you know. Uh, but anyway, Lizzie, I have to ask. So, it's been a week now. Um, yes. So, what's it been like? Your first week Someone who has watched Game of Thrones, like, have you got any further thoughts about the pilot? Have you had any interactions with new people over social media? What's it been like to wake up in the morning now that you know what a Game of Thrones episode is supposed to look like and generally appears as? Well, I've mainly been speaking to people who actually have seen the series and who know a lot more about it than I do, obviously. <laughs> and I, th I think it's... Um, a lot of them are kind of like you in that they've they're like, oh wow, you've you've never seen this this cultural phenomenon that basically took over television for about you know nigh on a decade. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of thoughts about the first episode, mm, I've I've I will say I've got a lot more notes about this one because I feel last time it was kind of trying to keep my head above water a bit and. There was mm -hmm. a lot of who's this, who's that, what's their relation to them, and yeah, trying to just keep a grasp on the basics. I think I called them the wind walkers at one point, which is, yeah, it's like, well done, Lizzie. Oh, uh, well, you know, now you'll never call them that again. So. Well, no, of course. Yeah, so, you know, it's a hell of a lot to remember, and I think that you've had a good a good first week and a good first experience with it. I am glad to hear that your notes are more comprehensive, but slightly anxious, because I don't know how comprehensive those notes, uh, what, what tone those comprehensive notes um, are going to take. But um, we're going to take a little break now, just before okay. we go on to the main episode. Um, I'll play the little five-second long theme, and uh, we'll jump straight in. So, 
So, um, onto the episode. This is Season 1, Episode 2, The King's Road. Um, the episode was written by series creators David Benioff and Dan Weiss, and just like last week, it was directed by uh, Tim Van Patten. It first aired on April 24th, 2011, to an audience of 2.2 million people. Um, so, Lizzie, like you say, you've told me that your notes are comprehensive this week, and, and I'm really excited to know why, because I love people who take comprehensive notes about Game of Thrones, because I have all my comprehensive notes just stored away in the ca- in the file cabinets yep. of my mind, and I'm curious to see whether we touch on any similar themes or similar points as we go along with this. So, first of all, general thoughts, what did you make of The King's Road? This was a good episode. It's a very good episode. It's kind it of, is, um, isn't it? Yeah, just I've, I mentioned that I have comprehensive notes. A lot of this is just sort of scene by scene analysis, but oh my god, there's a lot packed into this episode. Yeah, this is the. I I know we were kind of talking privately just before the episode. I just I would just like to say Lizzie's been very well behaved. Last night when I watched the episode in preparation for this, I immediately messaged her, going, "God, I'm God, I love this episode. God, I love this episode." <laughs> and you said nothing. You yes. just said, yep, I'm, I'm okay for 10 o'clock tomorrow. And you were totally well behaved. I had no idea what you thought about it. So I am, I was slightly anxious because I think this, if you like this episode, it's a good indication of whether you'll like the rest of the series. And so with the first episode, you can never really tell because mm. it's more to do with exposition and welcoming you. And so, and as we saw last week, about bombarding you with as much information as possible to kind of ground you in the universe and immerse you in it. Whereas with this one, it's more character-based. Now you know who John is and who Arya is, and they're standing within the Stark family, which means that they're seen together um, when he gives her the sword um, is quite touching because you know that they're both kind of outsiders in different ways. Like, John is a literal outsider, and mm-hmm. whereas Arya's not really going on the path that is expected of her she's more sporty and tomboyish than her parents might expect and so she feels a little bit like she's a bit of an outsider so it means that their scene together can feel um quite touching i think and so i think after last week getting into this episode now all the information's been sort of bled out through the pilot and you've digested enough of it i think you can start to have actual opinions and concrete thoughts about certain things now so i am glad that when that moment arrives, um, you've had positive takeaways from it. So I'm going to ask you um, about your general thoughts again. I don't know if you how you separate your notes or anything like that, but just what are your main takeaways from this? Do you think? Oh, my main takeaways. I mean, I would I'd want to say some things that would possibly come up later in this episode, so you might want to stay tuned for that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, as I say, it's a very busy episode. I would um, one scene we'll come to spoiler alert is um, you know the scene with the assassin, and it's crazy to think that's only halfway through. Yes. Yeah. Um, you're not supposed to be here. Yes. Indeed. It's, um, yes. At that, I remember I last watched this episode about three years ago, hmm. and. I didn't really have it in my mind as a particularly explosive one, but man, this just goes and goes and goes and goes. It takes about, you know, 20 minutes to warm up, and I actually realised it's 16 minutes before Ned appears on screen. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like that's a so that says a lot about how much of a good job they did and are continuing to do with all of the side characters because Ned's clearly like you know your main guy. I mean you've got like Tyrion and King Robert and stuff, but Ned's the guy through whose whose eyes we see this world through. And so to not see him for 15, 16 minutes of an episode right at the beginning, I think is testament to just how just how strong already I think this this world is. And then all of a sudden, when he does turn up and things start to go into motion, it just explodes this episode. I mean, like, and the thing is as well, as action-packed as it is, I don't think it ever loses sight of its central emotional conflict in terms of theme which is, it's this battle between what you must do and what you want to do. It's this fight between love and duty, what must be done rather against like what you would like to do. And there's, uh, cause there's that great line um, in the scene that Cersei and Catelyn share together mm. where um, Cersei says, um, all the things men do to show you how much they care. And I think this episode is about what men do and what, people and and then you kind of spread it out a little bit further to um Daenerys she has to do something it might not be what she wants to do but she's in this position now and to gain any kind of leverage with the Dothraki and with Khal Drogo she has to be a bit stronger she has to do something she has to take action and a lot of this is about whether you take action because you want to or you take action because you have to and I love that as much as the episode is, like you say, very fast-paced and very stocked full of stuff happening and lots of... It's amazing how bloody this show gets very quickly, I think, but... Um, it Oh, yeah, very quickly. This is very, a very, it's a very yeah. um, gore-filled episode. Absolutely. Um, and that isn't even the half of it. Lots of, uh, lots of very good practical effects come in this season with regards to blood, as you'll see. Um, but, yes, wow... Um, that, like you say, the scene with the um, the assassin, where he tries to kill Bran, is just like it's just that it's the first real point of like on screen. Like, I mean, I know we had uh, Bran being pushed out of the tower last week, but this is feels like the first like prolonged sequence of like on screen violence. And it well, we then... did also have a man being beheaded last week. Yes, so, uh, I suppose, know, you but, have to um, sort of. Um... There is some balance. It's not like it goes from naught to a hundred, but it is a no. particularly vicious episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, I am. Um, I'm very pleased that you enjoyed it and that it was stock full. Um, so, I think it's about time that we maybe left Westeros temporarily, okay. and we went over to Essos for the um, the. So at the moment, the episode starts with Daenerys and Jorah joining the Dothraki Kalasar, which is like their army, if you will, um, mm. on a horse ride through the Dothraki Sea. Because um, they've been in Pentos, which is on the west coast of Essos, the farthest, uh, furthest west point of um, Essos, and they're heading back east across the Dothraki Sea. They've travelled several thousand miles, by the way, in between the episode. Um, mm. They're heading back to their... Um, their capital city, if you will, um, which is Vias Dothrak is the name of their capital city. That's not too important for now, but that's where they're heading. And um, Daenerys is quite withered and quite tired and sort of exhausted. Um, And Jorah says, uh, you know, you've got to eat something. And then he gives her a bit of um, background on the Dothraki um, culture 
um, about how they believe that the ghost grass will uh, swallow everything and grow over everything. Um, and then Jorah Mormont, um, who was with Daenerys, um, says to Viserys Targaryen that he was exiled from Westeros for selling poachers into slavery mm-hmm. by Ned Stark. Ned yes. Stark exiled him, um, and Viserys uh, says that he just wants control of Drogo's army. Um, and then Daenerys, you know, she's struggling with this new marriage and the Dothraki lifestyle. Um, she keeps sort of trying to take comfort in, like, you know, these stone egg things that have been given to her. Um, and then she's very distressed and upset by the violent rapes that she endures um, from Khal Drogo. Uh, so she asks her handmaiden uh, her, her handmaiden's name is Doria it's not that important but it's spelled D-O-R-E-A-H um, how to please Carl Drogo and then later she's able to actually have sex with Drogo rather than just be raped by him um, and the relationship is has had a little wrinkle added to it he's not just a, turns out Carl Drogo is not just a, a wild horseman after all he is actually a, quite a sensitive soul if you can just break through that tough exterior (laughs) what did you because i was going to say last week you found the daenerys scenes to be quite effective and quite scary um yes what did you take from this as much as daenerys definitely isn't the focus of this episode she really does come into her own i feel i think it was it was um the last episode was very much sort of it was almost verging on damsel in distress kind of focus Mm -hmm. but but now it does, as you say, it feels like the relationship is coming slightly more of a two-way transaction rather than just, you know, Carl Drogo essentially taking advantage. I was also going to say there's a lot of focus on the dragon eggs in this episode. I notice they keep sort of looking back to that. It's almost like a, a Chekhov's gun type thing where... Okay. So you wonder if something is brewing there. What do you think might be uh, brewing? I might have to get the klaxon ready in a second. You may have to get the klaxon ready. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do, it's, I, I feel like asking, do they hatch? But again, that might be the uh, That the is very much a questions answered at a later date sort yes. of thing. Where it will either be answered positively or negatively, but it, it does uh, that question does get answered. Um, one, one thing I did sort of laugh, really, because I know about behind-the-scenes stuff with this. Um, Jason Momoa, who plays Carl Drogo, and mm. Amelia Clark, who plays uh, Daenerys, they're both um, quite chummy, and they they were very good friends during this. Because um, um, Amelia Clark's only twenty two at this stage um, while they're filming, and Jason Momoa and um, Ian Glenn, who plays uh, Jura Mormont, they were sort of saying that they felt the need to look out for her. Hmm. And obviously, at the moment, Amelia Clark, um, it, she's always been a bit up and down about the nude scenes that she does in this first season. She's always sort of said, well, I did it because I had to do it and because I wanted a career. And she said no one was ever really horrible to me about it, but... Um, you know, it did make me think about clauses in contracts that you can put in, so you don't have to do those kinds of scenes. Um, so, but apparently, uh, Jason Momoa, like I said, who plays Carl Drogo, was kind of helping her through these quite brutal scenes, sort of comically Very brutal. brutal. 
yeah. that scene where it pans in from where, where Drogo just kind of finishes whatever he's drinking and Janet just wanders into the tent like I have sex now turn you yes. over like you know <laughs> it, it, that's kind of comical I think because um, it's so like it so looks so stupid and so silly and so horrible at the same time and all you can do is sort of laugh and go oh, god but mm. apparently um, Jason Momoa was helping Amelia Clark through these kinds of scenes because obviously um, Jason Momoa isn't completely nude on set. He has this thing. They call them, I don't know if you've ever come across them before, they're called modesty socks. All right. And <laughs> they are exactly what you think they are. And yes. But apparently, um, as a bit of a joke, um, Jason Momoa got one uh, that was bright pink and fluffy and lacy. And he got that so that like in between takes, they could just have a, a laugh and a, a joke about it. Because I think that if you're an actor, I mean, not necessarily, I'm not saying that Amelia Clark is method, but when you're an actress, you, uh, uh, well, when you're an actor, just generally, if depending on how far you get into a role, it can be quite hard sometimes to separate yourself from yourself when the camera's rolling and yourself when you're not, especially if you're still in costume, on set, like doing all that kind of stuff. And... I imagine it must have taken a toll on Amelia Clark to be in this kind of position for so long. Because obviously we see the final take, but they, I imagine they did that 20, 30 times oh, throughout yeah. the day. And they just picked the best one. And so I think that Amelia Clark is living this in a way that maybe Daenerys isn't quite. But, you know, it still must take an emotional toll. And so it's nice to know that with these scenes that are so graphic and so horrible... The, the cast members were all like you know the chemistry was also solid between yeah. them and then I think that this episode then also offers Daenerys a way out of the um, the trouble because I, I do quite like that scene with her handmaidens um, gives them a bit of dialogue and it gives them a bit of a character um, and gives them something to say well it gives depth to Daenerys but you've also hoped that you might get more depth from Khal Drogo I think yes. we had that discussion in the last episode about the portrayal of the Dothraki as kind of, well, savages. Mm. And you wonder if there's something more to Karl Roger than just essentially using Daenerys as an object. Yeah, it seems like Daenerys has had to force that side of the bargain. Mm. But she, when she's forced it, Karl Drogo's actually been, in his own way, quite receptive because yeah. it must be impossible. I mean, there is this whole thing around Daenerys that, like, she has an aura about her. You know, she's a quite, um, quite. You know, she's sort of conventionally attractive anyway, Amelia Clark. But the way that Daenerys is kind of talk- talked about and represented in these first couple of episodes is that she's some kind of like angelic beauty, and it's impossible to look upon her eyes and not fall in love and Mm. so you know considering there's a huge language barrier i think daenerys has used that kind of aura that she has apparently um to worm her way into uh carl drogo's affections there and it happens quite quickly i think that you'll see later on that those kinds of emotional developments take a little bit more time later on in the seasons um because this sort of happens over the space it doesn't feel it doesn't quite feel episodic but you feel like the emotional arc that Daenerys and Drogo go on in this episode changes over the course of the episode as opposed to two or three episodes um so 
because I think the next time that you see Drogo and Daenerys, whenever that is, because um, obviously, because there are so many characters and so many plot lines, um, certain major characters actually are completely missing from some episodes because they'll just we'll just visit them next week, that sort of thing. Um, I'm I'm sure they're in next week's episode, but regardless, um, when we next see them, I imagine that they'll be in a much more comfortable place with each other, and a lot of that is because of what Daenerys has had to do and uh, what Daenerys has done this week. And again, it's this battle between she's done this not because she wants to, but because she has to. She has no other choice. Yeah, of course. And even during... I mean, I think that this episode um, gives the quieter scenes to Daenerys and Drogo. You know, there's less... Well, there's obviously less action, even objectively, but... um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. It's a a sacrifice she has to make in order to survive. Hmm. It's yeah. Um, also noted, the first scene is the only sighting of Viserys in this episode. Yes, he's been put on the back burner a little bit this week. Mm. Um, although we do get a little uh, interesting piece of information about um, a character that we otherwise um, quite liked up to this point. The little that we've seen of him in Jorah Mormont, mm. um, where he says that you know he he basically found some poachers on his land, and he was exiled. So Jorah is from Westeros. He's from he's all, he's actually from the north of Westeros. Um, there's a little on the map. There's a little island off the coast of the north of Westeros, and it's called Bear Island, and that's where House Mormont is based. That's their home. And so he found some poachers on his land. He sold them into slavery as punishment, and then that was he was found out. And Ned Stark was like, "We're not having any of that on uh, over in Westeros. We've outlawed slavery," and so um, he was exiled and sent away. Um, and so he's just kind of wound up uh, following Daenerys about at the moment and giving her bits of advice and bits of very dry meat. That was a very dry piece of meat that he gave to Daenerys. It was very dry, wasn't it? It looked, <laughs> um, it looked almost like wood. Yeah, I was thinking wood or jerky. or Yes, yes that was unusual delicacies they must have in Essos um, <laughs> and whatever he had rolling around in his satchel. He told me the moon was an egg, Khaleesi. That once there were two moons in the sky, but one wandered too close to the sun and it cracked from the heat. Out of it poured a thousand thousand dragons and they drank the sun's fire. (laughs) Moon is no egg. Moon is goddess, wife of sun. It is known. It is known. If we're going to talk about the John and Tyrion scenes, I just have to ask, um, isn't Tyrion just the best? Like, isn't he? Isn't isn't he just the best? Like, I'm telling mother. And oh god, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know it's mm. going to be good when the first sentence is Tyrion wakes up with some dogs. Yes, yes, he Great does. Start. Um, ah, breakfast. Yes, um, <laughs> but he is just this little. Oh god, I can see why Peter Dinklage really fell in love with this because I think at the moment he is the most immediate kind of character. There are some characters who have, for me anyway, deeper emotional resonance as the seasons go on but they're mm. not as developed yet because their job is... The the writer's job with those characters is going to be plotted very slowly over a few seasons, whereas with Tyrion, it's like, oh, <laughs> straight in there, right off yep. the bat. One of the funniest and just most hilarious and so instantly likeable and so charming. And it, there, he has so many great lines in this episode as well. Um what is it? Mine needs books like a sword needs a whetstone, and um, death is so final, but life, ah, life is full of <laughs> possibilities. 
And um, oh, yeah. there's also um, a little theme that comes in with him referring to himself as a grotesque. Um, there is a, a big sympathy in this show for... It's the title of the fourth episode, actually. It's Cripples, Bastards and Broken Things. There's a, a sympathetic eye towards society's outcasts, if you will, or the grotesques, hmm. um, as Tyrion refers to himself. I, I noticed you were going to chime in with something there. What, what, what have you got to say about Tyrion? Well, you were saying about great lines. There was also, um, after the scene with him and Joffrey, there was the prince won't forget that little lord. I hope so. If he forgets, be a good dog and remind him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. So they head, uh, they, they're sort of, they're heading north. Um, they're sort of towards the wall. Um, I mean, they actually reach the wall towards the end of the episode. Um, but there was a little thing in the background. It's a little wrinkle. It's not given that much um, focus. But I take it you noticed that the Night's Watch recruits were rapists and yes, thieves. And are you beginning to get an idea of what the Night's Watch is here? Yeah, it does seem like... Well, it is. It's it's somewhere for prisoners to be exiled, essentially. Um, there was the note mm. about they're given a choice between castration and the Night's Watch. And I think Tyrion says, uh, <laughs> most people choose the knife. Yes, that is exactly what he says. Um, which, hmm, yeah. So mm. he's got Uncle Benjin riding with him, sort of going, oh yes, I'm, I'm a great Night's Watch ranger. And then you have Tyrion going, eh... <laughs> yeah. Although Tyrion is not as clever as he thinks he is, because we've seen evidence of what lies beyond the wall, and Tyrion doesn't believe that it exists. Indeed. So I mean, well, Tyrion is quite a headstrong character, right? Very. He's very, very proud, and um, it does it does make sense that he would be quite naive about the situation beyond the wall. Yes, because if anything, it explains how big Westeros is. And how far away... I mean, Tyrion's never really come north. He's only mm. ever really been in the south. Um, he will have referred to himself in this episode as a Lannister of Casterly Rock. And that's where the Lannisters are from. They're from Casterly Rock. It's a castle on, on a cliff. Um, it's where the Lannisters have always been. It's kind of like how the Starks have always been in Winterfell. Um, but at the moment, they're all sort of in King's Landing because the family had to move over when Cersei married uh, King Robert. So they kind of just live there now because they're a, they're a royal family. Um, but they're based at um, Castle Rock, which is in the south of the continent. And so Tyrion has spent his life going between King's Landing and Castle Rock and never really going anywhere else. And he's always dreamed of going to the Wall because he, all he wants to do is as he says, piss off the edge of the world. Yes. That's all he wants to do. And he doesn't see how serious it is. And it shows that even a character as clever as Tyrion and as instantly likable as Tyrion still doesn't have a very clear idea of what the realities of the continent are that everybody but else goes through. Is it similar to... If I feel like him and John have quite an affinity in that they both feel they need to have to prove themselves. Yes, um, absolutely, because that's what he says, isn't it? That's why he reads books. Um, yes. You know, things are expected of me, and what's expected of him is that, well, I mean, he's expected to be an awful monster because he's a dwarf, but he has to prove them wrong by reading books. And again, it's the difference between what we have to do and what we want to do. And Indeed. it feels like the line is a bit blurred between Tyrion 
and um, between what Tyrion wants to do and what he likes to do, because it's clear he enjoys reading books and he's a bit of a, a wordsmith, but he only really had to pick that habit up because he had no choice. Yeah. And it's something that has gone from being a habit into a hobby, and he's been lucky in that sense. And sitting opposite him, um, John is another one where he feels like he wants to join the Night's Watch, but is it more that he has to because there's sod all for him in Winterfell? So yeah. he might as well go. And it's this, again, this argument between what you want to do and what you have to do. And God, I love how tight this episode is, man. It's just thematically. It really is. Isn't so, it? yeah. Um, I don't know if you have anything um, more to say about um, John or Tyrion because we talked a lot about uh, a lot about Tyrion just there, but I don't know if you had anything about John because John's not really much of a character at the moment. He's just kind of there. Um, I think this is the first time we've sort of actually followed him, but Tyrion's still the kind of focus, even though it's not really his storyline. But I mean, leading up to going to the Wall, um, John has a couple of scenes. He has one scene with um, with Jamie where Jamie's essentially being the little prick that he is and An arse, kind of yes yeah it's, it's sort of patronizing him about you know basically going off to die yes. and also there's a scene with caitlin where he goes to visit bran and caitlin essentially tells him to leave what i was thinking as well just with regards to that scene what do you make of the music in this episode because i know you picked it out last time as a little bit of a little bit of a, a pet peeve of that episode where you were a bit like, eh, a bit too much incidental music. Now, there is just as much, I think, in this episode, but the themes are far more developed. Oh, they already. are. They are. Already. Um, that scene that plays while John's speaking to Bran is John's theme. Um, so you'll hear that um, many times over the course of the first season. It's this... Um, and it's it's a really really lovely um theme um really really gorgeous theme actually it's one of my favorite pieces of music um across the whole show um and yeah again catelyn i mean again i mean we'll talk a little bit more about her when i think we're at the winterfell scenes but again she still will not let it go about john um, no, and no, there's a lot of resentment there. Yeah, so much. Um, you forget how much, really. Because mm. obviously I haven't seen this episode for about three years. Um, and it really is easy to forget just how much just anger she still has welling up inside of her towards John. And John's like, well, I've not done anything. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm, yeah, it's, it's not it's not his fault yeah. that... I'm, I know we'll come to this, but it's not his fault that Ned Stark basically vanished 18 years ago and came back with him yes with a uh, wyler with uh, Indeed. <laughs> not 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 bessie but we'll talk about bessie we um, love bessie. We'll bessie yeah yeah we'll talk <laughs> about bessie but um yeah so what did you because now we've actually seen the wall from the other side we've seen both sides of the wall now we've seen it from beyond the wall and we've seen it from uh, that little area of land just below the wall is called the Gift. It's like a, a district of the north where there's not much in terms of castles or families or anything like that. It's just lots of land, empty mm. land. Um, so now you've seen the impressive full-on structure. You see how big it is and you've seen little Castle Black dwarfed by it in uh, sort of in the foreground ever so slightly. Um, so yeah, you've now gazed upon the wall in good good high-budget, broad daylight, um, as opposed to just through trees in the background. So, um, 
we're at the wall. We're there. We've we're we at the finally... wall. We've seen the wall. It's, yes. It's, it's huge, isn't it? It is a huge wall. Um, yes. The kind of wall that only magic could uh, construct, I think. I'm glad they didn't sort of give that away too soon because it is just this enormous structure that's kind of, as you say, it looms over everything else. And mm. yeah, it's a great scene. Why'd you read so much? Look at me and tell me what you see. Is this a trick? What you see is a dwarf. If I had been born a peasant, they might have left me out in the woods to die. Alas, I was born a Lannister of Casterly Rock. So we're going to go slightly further south, but not too far south, because we've got much further south to go. Um, we're going to go to uh, Winterfell, in okay. the, or the north, as it is. So Bran has been in a coma for... It's about a month since the fall. Um, maybe maybe two or three weeks. Um, sure. And so Tyrion slaps Joffrey about because he doesn't want to give condolences to the Starks. Um, oh, and then Tyrion... Jeffrey. Yes. Can't oh. stand him. Oh, he's, he, he's, he's, he's a bloody difficult one, isn't he? Yes. Oh, yeah, he's, he starts soon, doesn't he? The boy means nothing to me, and I can't stand the wailing of women. It's just, <laughs> ugh, I want to <laughs> strangle you. <laughs> um, and Tyrion informs Jamie and Cersei and his um, little nieces and nephews there. There's Marcella, who is the girl, and there's Tommen. Mm. Tommen is the boy. Um, they uh, are all informed that um, Bran is likely to survive. He might be in a coma, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like he's going to die because all the maesters... Um... Oh, by the way, in the first season, just a little thing, you'll hear maesters referred to as meisters. It's, it, it is maester, and they do settle on that pronunciation eventually, but it's a bit up and down for the first season or so. There are okay, maesters all over the country. So Maester Lewin, who is the, um, the old guy in rags who kind of wanders around and looks very nice most yep. of the time, um, he is... Um, basically like a, you know, like a medical guy. And he says that Bran is, yeah, he's very injured, um, but he's gone past the worst stage. If he was going to die, he would be dead by now. Um, and so that's news to Cersei and Jamie. <laughs> oh, yeah. They um, they exchange a very nervous glance as soon as Tyrion says that. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I'd, and uh, then Ned um, and his daughters, so Sansa and Arya, they're all preparing to... Journey to the capital, uh, which is King's Landing, uh, with King Robert, uh, while Jon Snow, as you said, is going north, um, and he's accompanied by Tyrion. Jon gives Arya a little sword that she calls uh, Needle. It's a little little needle, and Catelyn uh, basically has a go at Ned for saying like, "God, you know," and she she does a similar line as well, where it's like. Ned's like, I have to go and do this. And then Catelyn Stark is like, well, God, that's what men always say. That's what they always say. They have yep. to follow duty and it's just, they, they follow their swords or whatever. And it's just like, Ugh, again, and she's getting flashbacks to the last time he rode off. There's also something I noted on the scene with Jon and Arya. It's very, very sweet when um, I think Arya taught Nymeria a trick, which is Nymeria gloves. <laughs> gloves. And she just sort of tilts her head. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh dear! Oh bless! I know so that sweet. scene is so adorable. I love that scene. Um, it is because there is a lot of I sort of noticed this during the Winterfell scenes that there is a lot of goodbyes in this episode when we've only oh, just yeah. met the characters. Like we've never really seen John and Rob on screen together, but 
the way that they embrace each other when they say goodbye, which is that Rob kind of knows that John's in this in this universe only his half brother, but yeah, they have such a kinship and such a connection, and oh yeah, God, it's such a lovely scene and like there's all this history and we've never seen it, but we kind of feel it and we know it's there. And it's the same with Arya and John. Like, you know, they've always kind of been outcasts in the family because Arya's, like I say, more tomboyish and more sporty than maybe her parents would want. She's not very ladylike, um, as it were. And John is, well, he's an outcast by default. And they clearly they share such a connection. And God, it is just so sweet and it's so sad that like we get these beautiful relationships and then they just get taken away from us because they're literally heading in opposite directions yeah so um yeah, yeah bloody hell well, you, you get more on the sort of why john and aria might have a bit of a bit more of a connection in that they're both it, it seems like they're both kind of the black sheep of the family yes in their own respective ways that is yes, um very yeah. true and so everybody, I don't know if you have anything to say about like their goodbyes or anything like that, because we get right into the, the meat of the action at Winterfell a little bit after this. Everybody's gone, and they've all gone yep. south to King's Landing. And then there is a fire set alight in a, presumably like a courtyard or something. And so all the men rush off, and mm. it's a distraction because the camera pans and... There's a killer in there, an assassin, who says that you're not supposed to be here. And he has been sent by somebody, we don't know who, but he's been sent by somebody to murder Bran in in cold blood with a a very nice dagger, very, very nice dagger, Valyrian steel, which is uh, sort of like a rare um, metal. Um, It's quite quite fancy, Uh, something that only rich people have. And so what's an assassin doing with a dagger owned by rich people? Mm. And then all of a sudden it's blood, violence, and uh, and cat being the best mother ever, and a dire wolf, and more blood, and this guy getting his neck eaten open, and oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's gone from not to 100 very quickly. Um, very. So, yeah, I think the dire wolves especially are kind of a big theme in this episode. Okay, yeah, tell, tell me what you think about that. Well, you there's some sort of it's like a mystical quality in that they have this connection to the Starks and that they can sense when they're in danger. Mm. But yeah, this is a very um, brutal scene, isn't it? Yes, very. I am surprised by the amount of. I mean, I don't know what they use for the blood, but it looks very realistic. And but God, that is that that's Catelyn Stark all over that. Like she is. She might resent John, and we don't like her for that. But God, she's a she knows how to protect what's hers. She's um, wow, yeah, properly jumps in there, gets right all of his knife, knows knows exactly what to do. Yeah, um, no messing around. No messing around at all. You Bites his. She's possibly been in that position before. She may have been. Um, I'm not aware of um of that, but it does. She's so effective at doing that kind of job. I mean, I know like um in the end that uh, Summer is the name of Bran's direwolf. Summer has to come in and finish the job, but yeah, Cat gives her enough time. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Wow, like yeah. So thank God Bran didn't crush uh his direwolf. When uh, he fell, well, when he was pushed from the tower, because um, he wouldn't have had a die wolf to save him if that had happened. So, nope. <laughs> um, have you noticed how fast they're growing up? By the way, 
very quickly. Yes. I also noticed something very strange in the scene. Um, it's not not crucial to the plot or anything, but there's a shot of Caitlin looking at the assassin with his you know his neck wound open. It looks like it's filmed in reverse. Oh, did, did you notice um, this? No, I didn't. It's um, very strange. I just sort of take it as red. I'll, I'll go back and watch that though. Yeah, no, um, um, I can possibly pinpoint the moment, but I just. I kept rewinding that. I thought, is that played backwards? Just sort of, you know, in the motion's hmm. not quite right. So is it when she's looking at him or is it when the blood is actually coming out of his neck? It's when she looks down to look at him and then the blood's pouring. Okay, I'll go back and watch that scene when we're done with this episode and I'll report back in episode three. Yes, yeah, so then a murder mystery begins because she finds the blonde hair. Yep. Which isn't... 100% conclusive, but it's very indicative of, I think, of what's happened. Well, it's a blonde hair and a big bare patch of what looks like a filthy room otherwise. Yes. Um, so, yes, a very secretive room that's quite off from the uh, the rest of the castle. I think that's a great shot, that, because it's a, it's a little incidental shot that's not really that important, but she looks out from the window of the tower and Winterfell's in the distance and it's like, ah, secret location. Mm-hmm. And, yeah... Just great little detail. And so the murder mystery begins and Catelyn plans to head south to King's Landing. She's going to go and follow the Lannisters and she's going to go and tell... uh, Well, she's going to go and tell somebody. uh, She's going to go and follow them. um, That there's been been a bit of a murder attempt with this dagger. And so they have to go and find out who owns the dagger, who gave it to the assassin, and... When they find those two out, they'll find out who's tried to kill Bran. And mm. at the moment, there's only really two clear candidates, I think. Um, who knows? But <laughs> Who knows? Who could possibly guess? <laughs> who could it possibly be? Um, but mm. yes. Um, uh, yeah, I think uh, we're just sort of waiting for Kat to figure out the obvious there. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Caitlin... Um, sorry, I meant Cersei and Jamie. Um, sort of exchanging looks and Catelyn finds a hair and there's an assassin and hmm yes wonder what's happening there um I wonder who that could be yes I have um unfortunately I have overlooked um a lovely scene between Cersei and Catelyn where Cersei talks about a son that she had years ago with Robert that died basically in childbirth it died very very quickly mm. like got a fever died and whatever that is a show exclusive that's not a book thing that's something that the show added in and it never it's not really a spoiler to say it never comes up again that really um right but it it does add a very nice wrinkle to cersei i think because it's very easy at this moment to see her as sort of like very upper self um yes very cold and uninviting but this is a little moment of a, just a, a connection just between two mothers. And it's I, I love that scene. And it's the line with it's the scene with the line, all the things men do to show you how they show you how much they care. And I think that's the line that resonates and reverberates throughout the entire episode. I did take a possible dark hint from this though, because she um she says they took him away and I never saw him again. And you know, you revealed to me that the son basically died in childbirth given what we know about the previous episode and how that ended Mm. you know what i'm about to say don't you go ahead 
Is there a possibility that this child was conceived through incest? Oh, the, um, what, the child who, um, died? Yes. Um, questions will be answered at a later date on that one. Right. Okay. Either yes or no, because I, d- I don't really want to say either way, because it might spoil it for you if you either do or don't get a resolution on that. Um, so I, I like okay. that theory, though, because at the time, I hadn't thought of that. And that's not a... That's not a fan theory you see around, so it is an interesting theory. Um, that I, I, see, this yeah, is, this is the just, beauty. This um, is the beauty of fresh takes. We get entirely level-headed analysis where you're not too emotionally committed at the moment, and you can kind of you can look at it very objectively, and you can sort of come at it very calmly and come up with theories and little um, little wonderings that me, someone who's watched this show many times at this stage of the series, two episodes in, never thought about it. And so, yeah, no, it's, um, but I, that's not to say that it's true or that it's not true. It's just that I remember at the time thinking, oh, that's sad. She had a child and it died and just sort of taking it as red. I was going to say, I like what we get from Rob in this episode. I feel like we didn't really see him in episode one and it's no. revealed that he's essentially been left to look after, is it Rickon? Yes, Rickon, who you've only seen once. He was sat on a like a pile of boxes when Bran was firing arrows at the start of the last episode. He was just sort yes, of laughing right. at yeah. the fact that he couldn't. Um, yeah, played by Art Parkinson, who went on to voice um, Kubo in Kubo and the Two Strings, which was oh, wow. a lovely movie. Um, but yeah, that was um, he, he eventually um, did that voice role. But you see him more and more as the seasons go on. But he has Rob has been left to look after Rickon. Um, you don't get the full picture of Rob's character just yet, but you know that he's kind of following very much in his father's footsteps. I think the job that they do in this already of making the children so much like their parents is just a phenomenal job. Like the Starks, the Stark children are so similar to their parents in Absolutely. so many ways even john who's only got ned in him like you know the, there is so much of ned in john already this idea that like what you have to do is honorable and you must do that and you want to be a soldier and you want, and it's just and even like their mannerisms and just the way that they behave around people and oh yeah no love all of it so much i was just going to say um i, I felt awful for him because obviously he speaks to um speaks to catelyn and says you know, he's been having to look after Rickon since the accident, and then now Catelyn's gone again, and it just seems that he's back to square one. Oh, I know. Poor old Rob. Who went south with Lord Stark, my lady? We need a new steward, and there are several other appointments that require our media I don't attention. care about appointments. Uh, at the end of the crossroads, they stop at this inn at the crossroads, um, where... Arya and Micah are doing sword play and we come across Joffrey and Sansa. Joffrey decides to be an arsehole. Mm-hmm. Then Nymeria and Arya take care of that. And then Sansa claims that she didn't see any of it because she doesn't want to ruin what's going on between her and Joffrey, um, even though he's a violent little shit. And then the command is that Nymeria is to be killed, but obviously they can't find Nymeria because Arya's sent her away. And mm. so in her place, 
Sansa's direwolf lady is killed instead. And Ned decides to do it for himself. And um, also um, Joffrey's uh, the bodyguard, the hound, um, has basically been told to go and kill Micah. Mm. Um, and so he's just done that. He ran, but not very fast. Um, so what are your notes about this? Because this is where the bulk of the episode takes place. So have at it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a it's a great scene. Again, it's... Um... Oh, what was I going to say? There's this, this very brutal scene again where um, Joffrey cuts Micah's face and you see the sort of wound develop immediately yeah. before, obviously, Arya jumps on him. Um, there's also, like, you. it's a recurring theme that you mentioned about what you want to do and what you have to do, and that's Sansa's position when it comes to being questioned about the incident. Yeah. I'm sure she wants to defend her sister and, you know, tell them that Joffrey's telling a pack of lies. But in her heart of hearts, she knows that she has to marry into this family. Yeah, for the greater good. Yeah. Um, And also with Ned as well, what he wants to do and what he has to do. And in the end, he takes it upon himself to kill the, the, well, kill Lady. Um, Poor old Lady. Arya and Nymeria as well. What what she wants to do is keep Nymeria by her side. What she has to do is send it away, send it away potentially to never be seen again. And I mean, th- there is a nice little story about um, behind the scenes. There is a nice little story about um, the direwolf uh, lady mm. um, because they wanted they wanted to use wolves. Like they actually wanted to use wolves, but apparently there are laws against having children act with wolves. So they had to use large dogs that resemble wolves. And Sophie Turner, who is the actress that played um, Sansa in Game of Thrones, um, she got to keep the dog. Oh. So she got to keep the dog uh, after it was written out of the show um, or written out of the book and then the show adapted that. But, um, yeah, so, you know, at least, you know, Lady might be dead in the show, but, you know, she lives on in uh, real life. Presumably. I mean, I don't know. It has been 10 years. So it has. Who knows? Coming towards the end of its life, regardless of whether it's still uh, still around. But um, no, it's such a... Oh, God, it's such a sad scene. It's like... Like, just every, everything about it. Like, And I love all the stuff beside the river, where the sword gets thrown in the river, and, like, um, Joffrey's just like, Don't touch me! Don't touch me! And go away, get help. Uh, and oh, Jesus Christ! He really knows how to put it on. Um, oh yeah, and when um, when Arya falls to the ground, it's like Joff threatens to gut her. Essentially, yes. I don't he, want to repeat it, but yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, we know what he says. Yes, uh, drops a drops a little sea bomb in there, but um, indeed, he is just like I mean, in the end, what he is is a child who his ideas of cruelty go far beyond what I think he's actually capable of. Mm. He likes the idea of being able to kill this Micah person, but he can only cut him. He likes the idea of gutting Arya, but he won't do it. And so he gets the Hound to do his killing for him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just such a 
Just, oh God, I hate him so much. Wretched character. Yeah, um, I have to say, I know you sort of like, you've come up with a bit of a fresh theory about um, the child who died being a child born of incest. Mm. Um, but it, and that was quite a fresh observation, but it is not a fresh observation to hate Joffrey, I'm afraid. Everybody hates Joffrey. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> hates Joffrey. I don't think there's anyone who he, likes Joffrey. He deserves to be hated. Yeah. Not, I'm not even sure if Cersei likes Joffrey that much, to be honest. Um, so, Just a question. How old is Joffrey in this universe? He is 13, 14 years old. Right. Okay. Um, some of the characters have been aged up. Some of them haven't. Like, in the books, Daenerys is about 14, 15. And in the show, she's early 20s. Okay. Um, maybe late teens at the oldest. And like John is 16 in the books, but about 20 in the show. Same with Rob. Um, mm. is about the same age, like 8, 9, 10. Sansa is about 12 at this stage, I think, uh, in book okay. and show. Um, but some of the characters have been aged up and some of them haven't. So Joffrey's at that kind of age where he thinks he's a big man, but he's essentially a mummy's boy. Yes, but only yes. in this universe he's a violent sadist and a mummy's boy. So, mm. you know, it's... Um, God. Oh, God, he is a nightmare. I really hate him a lot. But no, I love... Um, I, I had forgotten just how much how much happens in this bulk of this little bit of this episode. It's. I remember watching it three years ago thinking, Jesus, this is awesome. Like, this it is. is, it is, it is. It's, it's one of my favourite episodes of the season. There's a couple more... Maybe three or four more left this season. I think, yeah, wow, these are even better than that somehow. But uh, King's Road is comfortably like top twenty-five episodes for me out of seventy-three. Wow, um, quite comfortably, I think. Um, yeah, you no, know, I love this episode. I think it's excellent. Um, gets a bit underrated in the fan base. I think um, this isn't everybody's favorite episode, and at the time when it aired, a lot of people said that the pilot was the stronger of the two. But I don't agree at all. I think that. Now that we have everything settled, and now we sort of know vaguely where we are, um, there's just this amazing sense of I don't know. It's just it, it's an amazing sense of like immersiveness and action, and there's even little bits of character. There's little character moments and levels of intimacy, and there's all sorts of stuff in this episode that, like I say, if you like this episode, you will go on to love the show. Absolutely. Um, I think that I think if you're you're into this episode, I think you'll you're very much in tune with the tone of the episode now of this of the series now. So that's yeah, I think you're in for you're in good stead for for this now. Um, I don't know if you have anything more to say about the uh, the King's Road. Well, um, speaking of the King's Road, I noticed when um, you know when Lady is ordered to be killed. Um, there's a the part where Ned asks Robert if it's if it's his command for Lady to be killed, and he essentially he turns around and walks away. Um, mm. we, I think we need to go back to an earlier scene because I wonder if there's a bit of dissension there. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. This is well. This is um, we've not we've not talked about this yet. This is Ned and King Robert when they yeah. they're sort of reminiscing about. Um, Bessie and Wyler. Bessie! Bessie! <laughs> That's a, a bit of a meme, that. That is a bit of a meme in the Game of Thrones community, that. Um, just the way that King Robert generally is. Mm. Um, thank the gods for Bessie. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, we've, we've not talked about this scene where they are informed of the Targaryen-Drogo wedding. 
And mm. King Robert basically becomes incensed about what um, Rhaegar Targaryen did to Ned's sister. Yes, yeah. Who I I take it was uh, Robert's wife? He was betrothed to her. Okay, So basically, the story is, about 20 years ago, I can, I can give you a little bit of history now about uh, Robert's rebellion, which actually led to Robert being put on the thrones. So this is a little Ooh. bit of Game of Thrones history here. Go so on. the story goes that... Um, Robert and Lyanna Stark were betrothed. Hmm. But before they could be married, Rhaegar Targaryen kidnapped Lyanna and raped her and she died. And then Rhaegar died. And then in and then in response to that, King Robert... Uh, well, he wasn't the king then. He was just Robert Baratheon. He led an army against Rhaegar Targaryen, killed him. Um, and then they killed the Targaryen king... That was uh, that's Aerys Targaryen. They killed him. Um, that's why uh, there's a little mention of that actually um, between John and Tyrion, where hmm. John says, "And your brother killed him." Ah, that's what that was. So Jamie Lannister, you'll get to know this more in the next episode. I think is known as uh, the King Slayer because he killed. He was the man who landed the fatal blow. There was, a, you know, like I was talking about, there was an uprising, and the former Targaryen king was overthrown, and Daenerys and Viserys had to escape to yeah. Essos. Um, Jaime landed the final blow in this mm. uprising against the king, um, and so he's known as uh, the King Slayer. But it's not a good thing, really. It's not an honourable thing that Jaime did because Jaime was a member of that king's uh, guard, if you will. And mm. so he took it upon himself during this uprising to sort of turn on his own king. Um, so he's a traitor, essentially. He is viewed as a traitor, yeah. Um, but that basically, that whole little bit of history was known as Robert's Rebellion, where Robert was betrothed to Lyanna Stark. Lyanna Stark was kidnapped, raped, and killed. Um, and then Rhaegar Targaryen was killed by Robert. And then King Aerys was killed, and then Robert took his place on the throne, which is why he says that there are still people who call me usurper. Mm. Um, but that is that little bit of history. And while that was going on, that's the war that, that's the war they're talking about, um, where Ned was unfaithful and slept with that Wyler um, woman um, who eventually gave birth to John. And then I presume... it. It's a bit of a funny one because obviously there's that little conversation that Ned and John have with each other um, where John says, you know, can you introduce me to this woman? And Ned's like, mm, maybe next time we see each other, maybe bit of an uncomfortable topic. I'm sorry. And so but then we get a little bit more of that information a little bit further down the way where Ned is such an honorable guy that this idea that he could, as Robert puts it, forget his honor is it, it's a deep sense it's a deep source of shame for him and so i think he's quite i think he get, it gets i think that's why he's quite touchy because you know usually ned's not there are little bits of ned in this scene that aren't that sensitive to protecting targaryens or whatever because like um when he when he thoughts about viserys crossing the narrow sea mm. Um, he says, "Ah, oh, Sonnet will just chuck him back in, like you know." Well, so, like, yeah, there are little he's... bits of him where he's like, he is, he isn't protective of like um, Daenerys at all, 
But at the mm. same time, I think he's quite touchy just in that moment. And so he maybe responds in a way that he wouldn't naturally do because he's, you know, clearly asked, being asked about Wyler has touched a nerve. But I did see it as Ned possibly doesn't see, you know, um, the Targaryens and the Dothraki potentially working in tandem as a threat, whereas Robert takes it very seriously indeed. Yes, um, there is an argument here between the two that um, basically you'll, again, this is something you'll learn about um, in the later episodes, but the Dothraki have never crossed the Narrow Sea. Mm -hmm. They call it the Poisoned Water or the poison water, they just they just have nothing to do with it. Horses can't go across it, so we don't go near it. It's that sort of thinking, because um, they are very much about horses, and so they think if a horse can't go over it, then we're not going to go towards it. And so Ned is like, well, they're not going to come over, so why get so annoyed? It's just, it's whatever's happening is happening over there, and mm. it's not our problem, you know, leave it alone sort of thing, whereas Robert is so incensed about Targaryens that he's like, oh, there's a Targaryen still alive, and, oh, and you know, so it's very angry and upset that there's yeah, even he, a Targaryen in the world. He literally says, there's a war coming, Ned, and there's a question of who's going to instigate that? Yes. Um, who, who is going to instigate the war? Because you can get this sense now that there's enemies all around, it's not just Targaryens, but there's clearly something brewing here between the Starks and the Lannisters. Oh yeah, there's like a sort of cold war kind of brewing in that. Very much so. There's a, a definite, you know, hatred towards one another, but nobody's going to take that first move. No. Um, so we're in this very unusual and uncomfortable position at the moment. Um, mm. And I think sometimes it's difficult as well for Ned to tell the difference between Robert as a friend and Robert as a king. Yes. And vice I versa, agree. I think that Robert sometimes has trouble telling the difference between Ned as a friend and Ned as his warden, as his inferior, mm. if you will. So he doesn't want to give the order to murder Lady, he just sort of says it with his eyes and walks out. And sometimes I find it quite... I think it's quite clear that Robert doesn't like everything about being king. He likes all of the good stuff and the fun stuff, but when it comes to actually making decisions, he wants Ned to do it. Yeah, when Posh comes to shove, he ultimately um, kind of passes down the responsibility. Yeah, and it's the, again, it's the what you want to do and what you have to do, and in the end, Robert's kind of shirked it. Mm. And it's he's walked away from making that kind of um, decision. Um, I don't know if you have anything more to say. It's just at the end of that scene, Lady gets killed and Bran wakes up at the same time. And now he's awake. Do you think he'll have... I suppose this can be your one prediction for the week. Uh, I'll try not to make you do too many predictions, but my one prediction for this week is, do you think he will have anything to say upon waking? I feel like he might be scared into speaking about what he's seen. You know, for now. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it w I'm sure something will come out eventually. I don't think it will be that soon. I've half a mind to leave them all behind and keep going. Half a mind to go with you. What do you say? Just you and me on the King's Road, swords at our sides, a couple of tavern wenches to warm our beds tonight. You should have asked me 20 years ago. <laughs> I have to bring you back to this week and ask who your winner is this week i almost said nymeria but that feels like cheating is that cheating 
Is it cheating? I mean, Nymeria technically isn't a person. Oh, but she's a character. I suppose. Um, but I, I was going to say, failing that, it would be Arya. Okay, I, why? I loved her character development this week. It just feels like... There was a hint of that last week in that, as I mentioned before, there's this kind of sense she's the black sheep of the family, but it really sort of comes into its own this week. And Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. All right, wonderful. And darkening the tone, sadly, who is your loser of the week? I don't even think we have to ask you this, do we? No, I mean, does it does it even bear asking? <laughs> um, it's clearly Sansa. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. It's um, it's Joffrey. All right then. So last week your winner was Tyrion, and your loser was Viserys Targaryen. Your winner mm. of the week this week is Arya Stark, and your loser of the week is Joffrey Baratheon. So yes, there we are. So excellent. Okay, so next week. Um, we have Lord Snow, which is ep- season one, episode three. Um, and yeah, I look forward to talking about that one. So thank you very much again, everybody, for listening in. That was the King's Road. Um, just um, I- I- aren't we all glad that Lizzie enjoyed that one, eh? I'm sure we all are. I'm as relieved as you are. We'll see you very soon, guys. Okay, see you soon. <laughs>